So uh, I've enjoyed more and more sometimes us talking in church. And uh, I, I want to ask you guys uh, a question to ponder and find someone sitting close to you to discuss for, for literally less than a minute, okay? And here's what I want you to think about. I want you to maybe ask yourself and ponder. If you knew that tomorrow, if you, if you knew that, that, that you had one more day before eventually the next day you would die, what would you do with that day? There's no wrong answer. Ready, set, go. How many of you guys said you would go see family? How many of you said, I'm, I'm going to somewhere like Disney World? How many of you are like, I'm blowing all the money I got, why not? Forget the diet, forget all of those sort of things. There's a lot of things we would think about that we could do uh, if we only had one day left to live. Um, I want you to hold on to that, um, hold on to that idea for later on uh, in the message. Uh, if you haven't been here with us uh, recently, we've been in the midst of this series called Values for a Vision, where we have been talking about um, some new core values we have as a church. And the idea behind them is just this, is that we don't want to think about both as individuals and as a church community about just the things that we do, but we want to think about um, who are we and who are we trying to become. And each week we've been looking at these seven core values. So far we've, we've talked about this idea of being rooted in Jesus, being persistent in prayer, being gracious in love. And last week we talked about this idea of being radical in generosity, that we are called to be open-handed with our time, our talent, and our treasure. And this morning really is going to be kind of a, 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 a twin, uh, twin brother, twin sister message in some ways to this idea of generosity, because in many ways, generosity and serving go hand in hand. And today we're going to be looking at this core value uh, that we call eager to serve. You know, we live in a world that oftentimes is looking for opportunities to get out of things. Uh, we are looking for the opportunity to have the excuse to send the text to bail on something. You know, anyone ever have this happen? I, a friend from church last night texted me last minute to be like, hey, would you, would you guys want to have dinner? And it's that classic thing, right, where, and he even, he even said, like, you could either, we could go out somewhere, you come to our house, or you could pretend this text never happened. <laughs> but let's be honest, sometimes we have those sort of things of like, okay, I need to keep a good excuse. When I had... Uh, when we first had my son Gideon, I remember thinking, this is a terrible thought, but it's just true. I thought, I now have a great excuse to get out of things, right? Like, oh, sorry, they got, a, they got an ear infection. Sorry, we can't come, the baby's fussy. Um, but we live in a world where oftentimes we are constantly looking for ways to get out of things. We're constantly looking for ways to um, find ourselves doing just the things that we want, when we want, how we want. We have idealized kind of this idea of individual freedom and autonomy to the point where, in many ways, uh, we not only don't have an eagerness to serve others or to serve God, but oftentimes we have sort of whatever the opposite of that would be. We're looking for ways where, again, everything can come back to be about me and what I want. And it's a real sad detriment, not only because of lots of good that could happen in the world, uh, but it also has this incredibly damaging effect on our souls. And so as a church community, as individuals who desire to follow Jesus, we want to work towards God working in our hearts to make our default being not only um, 
willing to serve, but being eager and exciting. Now, this morning, I mainly just want to tell some stories from Scripture, and I want to tell a couple stories of things, uh, of people that I know in my own life. You know, I've been reflecting, uh, as many of you probably have, because Martin Luther King Jr. Day um, was, was not that long ago. And uh, obviously his, his example was really um, interesting, but, but I, I don't know if you guys feel this way too. He's a person who is very quotable. Um, there's just so many things that he, I think God really gave him a gift of wisdom in many ways, sort of like how Solomon had wisdom uh, in, in scripture and, and, and had a lot of good things to say. And, and there are two quotes that have always struck me from uh, Martin Luther King Jr. about service. He, the, the first one is this, he said, life's most persistent and urgent question is, what are you doing for others? What are you doing for others? And the second one is this. He says, everybody can be great because everybody can serve. You don't have to have a college degree to serve. You don't have to make your subject and your verb agree to serve. You only need a heart full of grace and a soul generated by love. When I was a junior in high school, I had the opportunity to um, go on a two-week mission trip uh, to the country of Guatemala. My, uh, my dad is a pastor, and uh, when he was in his uh, late 20s, early 30s, God really got a hold of his heart for um, missions. And so my, my dad, um, at this point in his life, has probably led 25 trips to um, Brazil, Guatemala, Belize, Haiti, um, around the world. It's just part of who he is. He loves to serve uh, others, and, and, and he, he had some experiences on some mission trips that really um, drew him in. And so one of his great goals and desires was for his boys to go on these trips. And so um, when I was a junior in high school, I was really excited to finally go on this trip. There was one thing, though, if I'm really honest, that I wasn't excited about. I was very excited to miss school for two weeks. That sounded awesome. Uh, in the middle of the winter, which sounded great as well, because it was going to be warm. Um, but I was not incredibly excited about one person who was going to be on the trip. There was this guy at our church named Floyd. Now, Floyd uh, has kind of that um, resting bulldog face. And, uh, you know, where, where you're sort of like, his, his natural default, it's, it's not necessarily because that's who he is, but the natural default is when his face is there, uh, it's just sort of like, I, I don't like you, I want to kill you sort of face. And Floyd was one of those guys that even as a high schooler, I didn't necessarily know him a lot. I didn't have a ton of interactions, but he was one of those classic guys who I knew who would come. He would oftentimes, I'm not, I'm not picking on those who sit in the back. I like to sit in the back too, um, but would oftentimes come, not really talk to a lot of people, would sit in the back with his arms crossed, was the classic like, I'm here because, you know, it makes peace in my marriage. My wife wants me to come. And... Um, and so I, if I'm honest, I remember thinking, like, I'm not that excited about this guy coming because part of me is like, I feel like he's, like, not going to be, like, fun. He's not going to be energetic. He's not going to be exciting. And I'm an annoying, you know, junior in high school at the time with a lot of energy and, and excitement. And I, one of my best friends is coming on the trip at the time. And so, anyways, I obviously can't change that Floyd's coming. I was kind of surprised. He didn't seem like the type of guy who would go on something like this. But as we went on this trip, what was interesting and fascinating is... Um, the more I got to know Floyd's story even before going on this trip. I got to learn about how um, when he was like 10 years old, uh, his, his dad uh, and his mom and his brother piled into a car and dad said he's going to go uh, into a store to, to get a few things. And uh, after two days of not coming back, they finally realized he wasn't coming back. And he didn't see him for like another 20 years of his life. 
He's a, he's a guy who was uh, a, a white guy who, who uh, grew up in a, a predominantly African-American school uh, in, in the inner city of Grand Rapids, Michigan. He's a kid who kind of learned that early on, like, if I want anything, I got to fight, I got to scrap. You don't trust a lot of people. And I also saw during this trip Floyd's heart be incredibly softened and changed uh, as he was on this trip. Some of it had to do with the fact that this was a trip where he began to serve others whom really couldn't do anything for him in return. But it was also because during this trip, he began to see as other people would serve him. When we would go into these villages sometimes and do certain things, we would have these people whom we'd seen their small houses with dirt floors and things like that, and they would treat us as guests of honor, and they would you know, kill the, the chicken that they had, and, and, and they would treat us like they were royalty. And it was incredible because on this trip, Floyd's heart in his life was incredibly um, forever changed. Um, for him, this is really his, his, his sort of um, turning point in his faith. And it's always interesting because during this trip, it's one of these things where there's lots of moments along the way, but I, but I oftentimes think about, many of us, if we're honest, even pastors in the church world, we think about like, okay, how can we, we just need like if we had the right sermon series or the right Bible study, or if we just had, um, you know, if, if the worship team played just this right song that hit the right moment and all of that, like people would have these moments of transformation. Yet over and over again, my, my friend Floyd, um, who, who's a dear friend of mine now, um, his example reminds me that oftentimes one of the greatest and most authentic ways for actual transformation and spiritual growth is not through a performance or some sort of entertainment-like thing. It's not through study. It's oftentimes through serving. It's through being in situations that make us feel a little uncomfortable. Being in circumstances where we have to think more highly of others than ourselves. And also in times where we have to um, allow ourselves to realize our need to be served. You know, what's interesting about Floyd's story is we would have went on that trip, um, gosh, like 15 or 16 years ago. And since then, Floyd has led probably about 13 um, international mission trips since then. Um, he started a, um, a mobile food bank that meets in my hometown at our, uh, my home church uh, once a month. Um, he does all sorts of stuff. And all of it began because of one big moment. And when I think about this idea of being eager to serve, I think about Floyd. Uh, because he's the person that if I, I, I do text him, he's a, he's a mechanic and so he, he helps me out sometimes. Uh, but he's the type of person who his natural default now is to how can I help? How can I show up? Not, not can I find the excuse. I want to talk a little bit about serving, and I want, I want to talk about what Jesus says about it as well. See, serving others, um, it changes our heart and our perspectives like nothing else will. You know, the, the Bible is incredibly powerful. I had a great time again this week doing a Zoom Bible study with people talking about like, the power of God's word and how good it is. But oftentimes, there is something about serving others, being in the thick of relationship, of doing certain things that, that just come alive um, for people's um, interaction with Christ and what he's doing in their lives. You see, serving and being served has a way of melting even the hardest of hearts. It oftentimes shows the authenticity of the gospel at work, where, again, beautiful, eloquent words 
great songs, you know, the coolest, you know, little coffee shop setup where we're, we're doing life together doesn't always pierce through the heart in the way that something like serving does. And you see, as a church, we want to be eager to serve because we are eager to see God move in our lives and in others. Many of us, I think, authentically want to see God move in our lives and want to see God move in the lives of, the, of others, but oftentimes we want to do it with little to no investment. We want to do it without being inconvenienced. We want to do it without having to, to give any of our, our time, our talent, and our treasure. We desire all of these things, but the truth is to see these things happen in our lives and others will actually require that we be our, both radical in generosity and eager to serve because it is at those places where we really see God moving. If you have a Bible this morning, you can open up to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 20. We're going to hang out in Matthew quite a bit um, this morning. And uh, to, to, to set up this, this, this particular um, scripture, um, Jesus has a few disciples who are, are having this conversation. And, and they, they understand now that Jesus is Lord, he is king, and they really desire um, to, to kind of rise up the ranks. They're, they're kind of the, the political ones of the group at this time who, who desire like, well, who's going to be, you know, essentially, who's going to be the vice president? Who's going to be second in charge in the kingdom? And, and they begin to talk about how, um, well, Jesus, who gets to sit at your right hand? Who, who gets to kind of be like the number two? And Jesus, um, he, he tells them this in, in, in Matthew 20, uh, chapter 20, verse 25. He says this, Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be, uh, who wants to become great among you must become your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Now, think about this. We, we've talked about this a lot over the last year or so. Um, ancient culture, Jesus' time. Very much this thing that we'd call a honor-shame culture. And so much of the honor piece had to do with this idea of, like, we, we talk about it today, right, where people are like, well, their family has money or influence or things like that. And, and it, it can be true today. But in that time, it was much more true. There really was sort of more of a social order. You know, again, the, the wealth you are, being male, um, being certain, depending on where you are, certain ethnicities, etc. There was sort of a, a, in a walking in a room type situation, there really would be sort of like, okay, what, what's the pecking order? At dinners and things like that, why they asked at dinners, there really would be sort of a certain um, etiquette for um, who would sit where. And there could be a lot of embarrassment or, or just sort of social, you know, missteps if the wrong person was sat at the wrong seat. And yet Jesus says this, right? He says, listen, you've seen what's going on in the world, right? They, 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 they take their power, they take their prestige, they care about all of this stuff. With you, no. If you want to be great in the kingdom, I want you to become lesser. I want you to give up your power, your prestige, your place for others, even others whom you don't think deserve it. You know, Jesus is painting this picture of the norms of the world versus what he sees as the blueprint for the kingdom, he shows that servanthood in a lot of ways can be subversive to the ways of the world. And ultimately what he teaches us is that we serve because Jesus served. He said, Jesus said that's why he came. He came to serve and give his life as a ransom. And when we do this, we reflect our master who is the ultimate servant. 
ultimately, again, when we, when we talk about so much of what we do as followers of Jesus, the goal is about reflecting Christ in our own life. It's about being that example. It's about becoming like Jesus. And again, serving is one of the surest ways to just sort of change our perspectives and weaken our prides. Because every single one of us have a sense of pride inside of us. Some of it looks differently in other places, but most of us, if we're honest, we have biases against certain people that we just, we can't stand. We have certain things where, uh, you know, we, we have this feeling of superiority. There are times where, right, Jesus talked about one time, there, there's this story where there's this, um, this, this sort of religious teacher at, at the time who, who prays this prayer out loud in front of everyone. Thank you, Lord, for not making me like the sinners and the tax collectors. And then he tells the example of this tax collector who, who beats his chest and says, Lord, have mercy on me. And Jesus says that that person is, is the person who is righteous and who is right. There are many of us who, if we're honest, I, I, I do this, maybe, maybe you do this too. If you want to be, you know, we're, we're friends. We can be honest, right? There's sometimes where we have those people in our lives where we're like, well, at least I'm not that bad. Hey, thank you, thank you. Don't worry, I would never call you out for, for agreeing with me, Amber. Thank you. Anonymity. But it's true. We sometimes have these things where we, 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 uh, we, we have like these things like, well, I'm not that bad at least. And we miss the point, right? Like that's not the point of humility. That's not the point of, of a changed heart. The point of the changed heart is to recognize that in the same way that we are undeserving of God's grace, either are these people. In the same way that we still got junk, so does other people. And that we shouldn't think of ourselves better, more highly. We shouldn't laugh or make fun or, or be excited about the fall of others. We should grieve. We should encourage. We should hope. We should come alongside because that's the way of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 23, Jesus said this. He said, the greatest among you will be your servant. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Jesus essentially says this, that greatness in the kingdom looks like lowliness in the world. It means that oftentimes the way that we choose to live may look like foolishness in the world. What Jesus would do oftentimes through his example, through his interactions with people, uh, would, would just sort of upend the cultural norms of the time. And it was very intentional. Because his uh, idea of his kingdom and what would be right and what would be good was at odds with what the world looked like then and, quite frankly, what the world looks like now. You know, Jesus has this desire that those who would be most um, lifted up and, and cheered on and things like that would be the, world, the ones that we would see as meek and weak and lowly, who would choose the, the lesser things. And that those who, who had, had it all together, all that in a bag of chips in his kingdom or not, they oftentimes are the ones who are the most spiritually bankrupt. And he reminds us, really, that all of us need to learn to serve because all of us need to recognize our need for a savior. Now in Galatians, Paul said this. He says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. Now it's interesting, right? Because there is, uh, but before, before we go on in the rest of there, it's interesting, right? Paul, uh, in particular, talks a lot about this idea of freedom, freedom through the way of Jesus, freedom through the Spirit. And he also talks a lot about this idea that Jesus did, too, of becoming a servant or becoming a slave. 
It's interesting, right? Because those words typically don't go well together, right? Like, I, I don't think if I'm a servant that I feel free. If you say that I become a slave, that, that, that feels kind of like the opposite of freedom to me. And yet, in, in, in the kingdom of God, there is freedom in becoming a servant or a slave for Christ. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. And he says this. This is, this is a pretty big deal. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, astute Bible people would be like, hey, Jesus, though, he said that you are uh, supposed to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Paul trying to cut stuff out. What he really is saying is this, that when you love your neighbor, you are loving God. And that you cannot love God without loving your neighbor. It is impossible. And you see, the true test of transformation and communion with Christ is how do we treat others? You want to know if there's someone actually has been transformed, whether or not they actually um, have experienced all these things? Show me someone who actually serves and understands the service that God has for them. There's this, um, there's this story in the Gospel of John, chapter 13. I asked you this question at the beginning of the service. What would you do on the last day of your life? Would you go see family? Would you go with certain things like this? And uh, Jesus decided to do something different. We, we oftentimes refer to this time as the, um, the Last Supper, and we, we think about it being um, where Jesus gave us this idea of communion, Right? And uh, there's a moment that happens before he gives the new promise, the new covenant, um, that, that he does something incredibly different. And I'm, I'm going to ask Pastor Cole to come out and, and help me with this for a moment. Um, but he, he has this moment where uh, he desires on the last day not to have this big ball um, with a huge amount of people, not to have this moment where he has like these royal dignitaries and things like that. He instead chooses his, his disciples, his 12 closest companions, um, whom he spent a ton of time with, whom still don't understand everything, continue to, to mess it up, and he decides he wants just this intimate time. He doesn't invite really anyone else to come with them, and, um, and the meal has begun. And again, in this culture, there had a lot to do with etiquette and order and things like that. And so what would commonly happen at a meal in this ancient culture, in this ancient time, is that because people wore sandals and things like that, their feet would get messy and gross. And so it would be kind of a normal thing that whoever was the lowliest in the house would wash the feet of the guests. Now, as you can imagine, probably not the most desirable job. I mean, think about it. They're in a desert-type climate. They're in a time period where I don't know what the sanitation systems are like in that area. I don't want to know the smells of ancient um, Jerusalem and things like that. And the meal has already started. And there had been lots of conversation about, you know, who's going to be the greatest, who gets to do this, who's going to do that. And Jesus decides that on his last day that he's alive, uh, or the last day before he'd, he'd eventually go to the cross, he decides that what, what should he do, um, what could he say, and rather than just say things, he decides to show them something. And he, he goes to this place, and it, it says that, that he, he takes a towel, and he uh, wraps it around himself. And, and he does this, and, and they have to be, there had to be gasps 
where they're like, what in the world? Because in this place, it's pretty obvious at this point, they know that he's the son of God. They know he's, he's Jesus. But hands down, even if he wasn't Jesus, just being rabbi, he's the top of the order. You don't do this. In fact, Peter uh, tries to fight him over it. Um, which again, we know not that much longer, the guy flies off the handle and cuts a guy's ear off. Jesus should have been careful. But he tells him that this is incredibly important for him to do. He tells him that this is really important because uh, he needs to experience it. He needs to experience the humility that is involved in this. He needs to understand that if you want to be great in this kingdom, if you want to be like me, if you're going to carry this on when I'm gone, you need to understand that this is not about you and your power. It's not about your will and your way. This is about service, that your purpose ultimately will be through the service. And so what he did is he, he knelt down, and he, he, he took these men, and he washed their feet. And, you know, nowadays, uh, this is kind of a, a thing that many of us don't really love um, because we don't like our feet being touched, right? We, we tend to hide them behind boots and socks and all sorts of stuff, and uh, maybe they're not as dirty as they once were, uh, but we just we don't like the, the, the social norms behind it. And we don't know what Jesus would have said to them during that time, but I, I like to think that he would have looked at them and said things like, uh, you my son, um, I love you. Uh, you are worthy of my honor and my service. And even though I am your master, I serve you because I love you. And then in my kingdom, uh, there is no job too big or too small uh, for you. Thanks, man. And all of this is important. All of this um, matters because it completely upends this idea of what one should do and what one shouldn't do. What's required and what's not required. And to me, it's one of the most beautiful stories in all of the Gospels uh, because it reminds us that none of us are too good for fill in the blank. May there never be a time, other than I guess some physical abilities, where we say, that task is below me. That relationship is below me. Oftentimes, it's the pushing through the things that are uncomfortable and feel like we shouldn't have to do where we see some of the most beautiful fruit begin to develop in our lives. I'll tell one more story, and then I promise I'll be done. Jesus, in the Gospel of Matthew 25, is, is teaching about the end. And he, he begins to tell uh, his disciples about what, what's judgment going to be like. Because ultimately, many of us, if we're honest, we are Christians, uh, not always because of our devotion to Christ, but because hell sounds bad. I've been there. It doesn't sound great. It sounds warm right now in this winter, but it uh, doesn't sound like a good long-term plan. And so, you know, people at that time, too, had their mind often on, what, you know, what's judgment going to be like? Things like that. And so Jesus tells this famous teaching that he calls the, the, the separating of the sheeps and the goats. And he brings these people together, and he says to this first group, he says, you, my sons and daughters, uh, come into the kingdom that has been promised for you. Because when I was hungry... You gave me something to eat. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was naked, you gave me clothes. When I was sick, you took care of me. When I was in prison, you visited me. And the people very confusedly are like, what? We didn't do any of that. When, when did we do that? And Jesus says, whenever you did this 
for the least of these, the lowliest of these, you did this for me. And then he looked at another group of people. And I have to imagine with incredibly sad um, voice, depart from me. Because when I was hungry, you gave me nothing to eat. When I was thirsty, you gave me nothing to drink. When I was sick, you didn't visit me. When I was in prison, you weren't there. And he said, when, when, did we, when did we ever do that? We would have seen you, Jesus. We would have taken care of you. He said, truly I tell you, whenever you didn't do for the least of these, the lowliest of these of this world, you did not do for me. Serving is incredibly important and matters because when we serve, we see Jesus. When we serve others, we see Jesus in and through our brothers and sisters whom are in need. You see, we want to be eager to serve because we want to be where Jesus is. We want to be where Jesus is. And the truth is, Jesus oftentimes isn't just sitting in a church building waiting like, can't wait till they get here for that one day a week. Jesus is in your house. He's in your workplace. He's in your neighborhood. He's in the grocery store. He's in the part of town that you do not want to go to. He's in the part of the town where you think is just full of rich, stuck-up people who don't deserve anything. Jesus is in all of the places where others are who need love and support, who need grace, who are waiting for people to step in and step up. And so this morning, as, 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 as we're going to close out, I want us to think about some practical ways that we can do this. Because in many ways, our default setting should become just looking for opportunities, praying in the morning, God, give me eyes to see what you see and opportunities to love and serve. But some tangible ones to um, make efforts to consistently do these things are these are just practical steps. Find a place to serve regularly at church. Get involved in kids' ministry. Uh, help out with the tech team. Um, there's all sorts of things. Maybe you're like, I don't know if I can do a Sunday morning thing. I'd love to help with landscape. There's all sorts of ways that you can serve others. I'll lead a, I'll lead a Bible study, you know, whatever. But also find places to serve outside of the church. You know, there are things like uh, one of our partner ministries, Bridges Outreach, does a um, mentoring program uh, at the elementary schools. Um, the rescue mission is always looking for different opportunities. You could serve a, help serve a meal for uh, our recovery ministry or at Valley of Grace. There's all sorts of tangible ways. If you're looking for some, let me, let me help you find them. And maybe another thing is considering things like a, like a mission trip experience or something like that. Um, one of my goals, in fact, I, I talked to my friend Floyd recently uh, about the, the possibility of uh, partnering for a trip uh, in, in, in the next year or so. And so maybe that's something that God will put on your heart. May, maybe for you. Uh, you are like my friend Floyd who needs to have an experience that gets you outside of your comfort zone uh, for your eyes to be fully opened uh, and your heart to be completely changed. Um, whatever God may be telling you today, though, I hope and pray that you just listen to his prompting. Because um, ultimately, one of the beautiful things about who Christ is is that uh, he was willing to give us everything he has and uh, to meet us there uh, in the midst of our brokenness and our sin, to serve us not because we deserve it, but because he loves us. And uh, so I'm going to ask you guys to go ahead and stand with me and, uh, and join me in prayer as we're going to sing uh, one last song. Let's pray. Father, again, thank you so much for your um, great love. Thank you for your example. And Father, you, um, you are the ultimate servant. Uh, as you said, you didn't come to this world to be served, but to 
serve others and give your life as a ransom for many to pay the ultimate price on the cross for us. Father, this morning, there may be some in this room who um, have not surrendered to you, have not experienced the freedom that comes uh, from calling you not only um, Savior, but Lord. Father, I pray this morning that they'd realize all they need to do is just acknowledge their sin, ask you to take it away and help you turn from it, and to begin walking with you. And would they know that there is just a party going on in heaven for them right now? For some of us, maybe we, we've recognized that, that at one point we, we were living for you, Lord, and living for others, uh, but we've, we've become inward focused. Father, this morning we confess our, our selfishness at times, our, our desire to um, take care of uh, our own, um, our, ourself. And so, Father, maybe this morning uh, we just uh, humbly offer to you um, ourselves, wherever you may call us, whatever you may call us to. Uh, because, Father, you didn't hold anything back. You paid the ultimate price. And so, Father, may, may we completely surrender to you. May we give all to you uh, because you're worth it and because you gave us all through your precious blood. So, Father, speak to us in this moment and give us the courage to respond in any way you may call us to. So, in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Sin, I left a Christmas. 
As we, uh, as we leave this place, I, I wanted to say one last thing about um, serving. Uh, when we serve, we, we don't do it out of obligation, or out of coercion, or anything like that. Um, our desire is for uh, our heart to be so transformed by Christ um, that we can't help but want to. That there becomes a desire um, out of the love that we've experienced through Christ uh, to give back that love out to others in any way we can. So as we leave this place, let me pray a prayer of blessing that we may have the eyes and the hearts like Christ to serve. I want to invite again, if you've never joined us for one, newer here, uh, we'll have a um, first chat in room four right after service with some snacks and things like that. Be really short, but we'd love a chance just to talk to you, say hey. Uh, but let me pray a prayer of blessing. Father, again, thank you for the way that you serve us and love us and take care of us. And Father, we especially thank you for... Um, what you did on the cross. We're grateful for the fact that, Father, um, there's nothing that we can do. We don't serve to earn your love. Uh, we serve out of your love. We serve and we give and we live for others uh, out of the abundance that we've received freely from you. So, Father, as we leave this place, give us eyes and hearts seeking to see people the way that you see them. People who are in need, people who are hurting, people who need encouragement, people who need a friend. And Father, give us the courage to serve them um, with love and honor and joy. Father, out of that, would we um, be just a force of love in our community that people take notice of, not for our glory, but for your glory. Father, uh, remind us that you're always with us um, to the very end of the age. And keep it in mind in our hearts um, that you are with us, that you are for us, and that you love us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Friends, have a great rest of your Sunday. We'll see you next week.